Now on Radio Italia Uno, it's time to change the world with Matt McQuinley. The energy, the faith, which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. We focus on changing the world for the better by taking personal responsibility, canceling cancel culture, discussing and listening to each other on topics like leadership, cultural trends, business, history, and more. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Right now on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello, and welcome to Change the World with Matt McQuinley. We have a fabulous guest today. Gail King is a public speaker, author, age care liaison, and mindset mentor. As you know, our focus on this show is to do our best to help change the world for the better. Gail is focused on doing that in people's individual lives every day. And Gail is aligned with the values of this show and the focus of this show, so that's why we asked her to be on, because she's making a difference in people's lives as we speak. Hi, Gail. How are you doing today? All right, Gail, how you doing? Excellent, thanks, Matt. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, how was your weekend? Um, if you really want to know, we're in the middle of moving house. Oh. We've, we, two weeks ago, we moved one set of our kids. This weekend, we moved another set, and in two weeks' time, we're moving house. Well, I'm, so. I'm, pr- I'm proud to be one of your acquaintances. I'm glad that I'm not a close friend because you didn't ask me to help. So. No, we actually didn't ask any <laughs> friends to help. We value their friendship too much. All right. Okay. Yeah, because my back started hurting as soon as you started talking about moving. I was preparing my excuses. So <laughs> I'm sorry to inflict pain on you, Matt. That's terrible. All right. Well, welcome again to the show. Please tell us a little bit about your journey uh, that prompted you to write uh, the book Unscrambling Grief. That sounded like it had some really powerful messages in it. And if you could share that. Uh, with us, we'd really appreciate it. Okay. Um, can I tell your audience a little bit about my background? Yes, please. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I have a background in children's dentistry, so I haven't always been an author, and I didn't ever actually intend to do this sort of thing. But as I've seen the need um, in various aspects of my life, I've actually written a book about it. So my second book that I wrote is called Unscrambling Grief, and it's the story of us losing two children. Mm. Okay. Can you can you tell us a little bit more, more about that? That's horrible. I mean, how did you handle How did you manage that? I mean, and, and obviously you're still, well, not obviously, you're still married. And, and I know that death of a child, usually that's the end of a marriage. Sure. Okay. Um, it's a little bit of a long story. We... Planned to have three children a couple of years apart. Our plans came completely unstuck. Uh, our first baby, Luke, was born six and a half weeks early, and he was absolutely fine with all the prim baby stuff, um, but nearly died of an infection that he picked up in hospital when he was three days old. Mm. Uh, he survived all that. He then went on to, you know, grow into um, a handsome young man, big, strong guy, and he's been an aircraft engineer for 23 years. Our next baby was born 15 weeks early because they couldn't work out why I'd had Luke early Um, and they'd done all these tests and nothing abnormal showed up and so Katie was born 15 weeks early and she was simply too young to survive so she only lived for just 
just over an hour. Wow. So by the time we got to my third pregnancy, um, that they'd worked out that I needed a, a, medic, um, a surgical procedure to try and prevent me from going into premature labour. So they did that and I got to 25 weeks, went into labour again, spent four weeks in hospital and then Catherine was born ten and a half weeks early. Well, she survived all the prem baby stuff, did really, really well and caught up on absolutely everything by the time she was two. And I don't know if you remember Pollyanna. Do you remember the Pollyanna books? Um, she was a, a yeah. bright and bubbly little girl who, mm-hmm. like fictitious, who lived in a town called Harrington. Mm-hmm. And to start with, she nearly drove all the older people mad because she just wanted everyone to be happy. And so she played the glad game. Well, our daughter Catherine was a little bit like Pollyanna. She, her mission in life was to make sure that everyone was happy. Anyway, one, one night she went to sleep when she was four and a half years old and didn't wake up. She actually died of a sleep apnea condition that only ever kills adults. So she was only the second child in South Australia um, who was diagnosed as autopsy from dying of sleep apnea. Wow. Yeah, so that sent us on to a roller coaster ride. You know, we'd already been through losing Katie and... That, that was an interesting journey because nobody actually met her and so most of the world pretended that I'd never been pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, my in-laws' family, nobody ever talked about it uh, and my family would, you know, and, and some of our close friends would actually talk talk about her and, and you know, the pregnancy and whatever. But uh, it, it's now been actually classified as either stillbirth or a baby dying just after it's born, um, or miscarriage has been um, classified now as silent grief because quite often people have to go through it on their own. Um, people just get awkward with it and don't know how to deal with it. Mm. Anyway, so we'd already dealt, dealt with that, but there was one person in um, my husband's side of the family who did talk about it. She was Auntie Marge. Um, she and I were just kindred spirits who got on from the minute we met. And she came to me one day and she asked, how are you going to do, deal with losing Katie? I said to her, I think I've got three options. I can drive off Old Belair Road, which would be a one-way trip. I'm not going to do that. I can sit around and get moky and miserable and be depressed for the rest of my life. I've never done that before and I really don't want to go down that path or I can figure out how to get through it. And in time, Ron and I did. And part of it was because we would both talk um, and we'd find that when one was down, the other one was up, and we sort of seemed to do this seesaw type thing. Uh, and bit by bit, we did get through it. Mm. So when when Catherine died at four and a half, our son Luke was nine years old, and Catherine was actually his best friend. So by the time he was nine, he'd lost both his sisters, which is more grief than most people have to work through in their entire lifetime. Wow. So, so much there to unpack. I mean, how, I mean, how, how, where, where do you find that, how how was it different for your, losing your first child versus your second? I mean, as far as emotionally, Uh, how did that? Okay. Okay. Um, It's still a black hole and still an incredible emotional roller coaster ride. 
but there were so many more people involved in Catherine's death. Mm-hmm. Um, she used to go to family daycare three days a week um, when, when I was working, and the lady who actually looked after her also um, worked at a creche where a lot of people would come to do craft classes and they'd put their children in the creche. So Catherine was in the creche um, a couple of days a week um, and, and met heaps and heaps of people. So we'd go shopping in Blackwood mm. and she was forever saying hello to people, to adults who I'd never met. And so well, how do you know them? Oh, I met them at creche. And so by the time she died at four and a half, she had masses of friends and a lot of them were people I didn't even know. So at her funeral, there were 150 people. Wow. Now, I've had, I had quite a few people say to me that firstly, they didn't know that a funeral could actually be a happy time mixed in with the sad time because it was a big celebration of her life. Um, but they said, how come there's so many people here? And I said, Catherine had friends everywhere. Mm. Um, so, she, you know, I said before that she just wanted people to be happy. Mm-hmm. I, My husband's not sure if he agrees with this, but I firmly believe that she was only meant to be here for four and a half years and that she was on a mission to spread as much love and goodness in that time as she possibly can. And I think she, it was mission accomplished. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And how did Luke, I mean, uh, manage through that? I mean, that's, for a nine-year-old, I I don't... I I still can't begin to imagine how Luke must have felt because he he came into this world as a very, very quiet child. Luke is a big thinker and he's, he's highly intelligent. He's incredibly observant, but he doesn't say much. So when he does open his mouth to say something, it's worth listening to. So trying to get Luke to express how he was feeling was almost impossible. Um, so we just looked out for him the best way, way we could. We tried to do activities that were fun for him, um, create family experiences, but it was slim and hard work. He's, he's now almost 42, and back then grief counselling for children, or for anybody basically, was pretty much unheard of. Mm. So... You know, we just kind of fumbled through the best way we can. And, you know, if we had our time again, you know, there are all sorts of things that we probably could have done that would have made his journey easier. Wow. But something that I found out only um, about three or four years ago, and I'll try and say this without crying, but Luke had promised Catherine two weeks before she died that he'd always look after her. Mm. Wow. Now, I only found that out probably about five years ago. Mm. So Luke would have been in his late 30s. Now, you imagine carrying around that sort of guilt that you'd let someone down for Mm. all that time. No, I can't. And I'm sure it's made an impression on him even today, subconsciously, you know. Yeah. Consciously Mm -hmm. and subconsciously. Yeah. Wow. Is is Luke married now? Is he... he... Now, that's, that's an interesting question. Luke's going to be married on the 23rd of April this year. Fabulous. That's great. Yeah. He, he's had a partner, Natasha, for 10 years, and uh-huh. they've finally decided to um, tie the knot. So we're right right in the thick of wedding planning at the moment. Wonderful. 
That's that's absolutely fabulous. Well, I we're going to take a quick break here, and we're going to be back with Gail King. She's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, what she has learned through this experience and the major themes of her book in just a couple seconds. So don't uh, go anywhere. We'll be right back. la tua attività? Vuoi aumentare il tuo volume di affari? Non sai a chi rivolgerti? Chiama Radio Italia 1. Il nostro staff commerciale è a disposizione per ogni informazione o preventivo personalizzato. Chiama all'82 123177. Radio Italia 1. E anche tu sarai un numero 1. Radio Italia 1. Sito internet www.italia1.com.au. Seguici anche sulla nostra pagina Facebook e Instagram. Looking for a new coffee machine for your home or workplace? Look no further than Fine Choice Coffee Solutions, your experts in all things coffee. Why not come in for a chat and a special coffee tasting? You'll find us at 264 Gilbert Street in the city. Mention Radio Italia 1 and you will receive a free 250 gram bag of freshly roasted coffee beans. You can also shop online at www.fccoffee.com.au where you'll find our large range of premium roasted coffee beans, coffee machines, accessories, hot chocolates, teas and lots, lots more. I'm Danielle from Fine Choice Coffee Solutions, your one-stop shop for all things caffeine. Radio Italia 1 You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello, we're back with Gail Miller, uh, author, public speaker, aged uh, care liaison, and mindset mentor. Uh, We were talking in the last session a little bit about her book where she talks about how to overcome grief, well, actually unscramble grief. And uh, there's some some techniques in there on moving forward, Gail. Could would you share those with uh, with our audience, please? Sure. Um, there's probably only one technique that I describe, and I, I actually picked this up from Tony Robbins, um, an international author and mindset guru, and whatever. And he talks about the fact that you cannot move on from pain unless you replace it with something. And if you want to move forward, you need to replace it with pleasure. So when I'm speaking to groups, I I do a presentation called Life Happens Dealing with the Tough Stuff. When I'm speaking to groups, I say, think about your life and, and something that might be causing you grief and work out what you could possibly replace that grief with. Now, for a friend of ours whose husband died very unexpectedly at 59, They had always done a lot of travel, and so she was always planning a a trip, whether it was just a a little camping trip for two days or an overseas escapade. And that's what actually helped to move her through. It, It took quite a few years, but the fact that she always had something that they enjoyed doing to look forward to helped. So in our case, This was the hope that we may be able to have another baby. Now, we knew it was going to be risky because of my medical condition. And by by that stage, I had type 1 diabetes, which means that when you're pregnant, because your hormones go haywire, your sugar levels can be all over the shop and you really need to try and keep them well controlled. 
So we saw the obstetrician and asked whether it was possible, you know, whether he thought it was a crazy idea for us to even contemplate having another baby. And that meant having a reversal operation because I'd already had my tubes tied after Catherine was born. Mm. Um, he gave us the green light and referred us to somebody who does reversals and the endocrinologist said, no, we will support you through this and do whatever we need to do to try and keep your sugar levels happy. And sometimes that meant doing eight blood tests a day and then adjusting insulin and whatever. So it was, it was tricky. Um, I had the reversal operation and quite often they're not successful, but in my case, within two months I was pregnant and I was told that I needed to have a surgical um, procedure at 12 weeks to, um, to try and sort something else out. And um, all of that was going fine. And then at 16 weeks, I felt like I was falling apart, so I had to start laying down. And then at 24 weeks, I started having contractions, so they put me in hospital and said, right, you'll stay here until the baby's born. But that Tony Robbins principle of replacing pain with pleasure actually helped us enormously. And it also meant that Luke had something potentially very exciting to look forward to. So instead of having this great big hole in his life where his best friend was gone, he was now anticipating the fact that he may have another sibling. And by this stage, he was 12. Mm-hmm. So it was a long, long pregnancy. Um, but this time, I got to 36 weeks, which was my best all-time record. And we safely had a baby girl called Heidi, who's now just turned 29 and just got married. Wow. So, And she and Luke get on like a house on fire. So if people can remember that if you can find something that actually creates Pleasure and good emotional energy for you, it is possible for you to move forward after a serious grief situation. Mm. However, you have to choose to move forward. It's mm. always our choice. Wow. A lot to unpack there, too. That's, but that's awesome. Like Heidi's, bir- Heidi's birth is a motivational story because she can, she, you had to, you and her had to overcome so many obstacles to, you know, to bring her into the world. I mean, untying tubes and diabetes and this thing at, uh, four, I think you said 12 weeks and then another one at 16 yeah. weeks and then, uh-huh. you know, third and then into the hospital for two, over two months and then, wow. Yeah. Um, but how, you know, one of the, one of the, um, uh, what's the word I want to say? One of the symptoms, I guess, of depression, for lack of a better term, is that things that you used to enjoy, uh, don't give you pleasure anymore. How do you? How did you get out? How did you overcome that? I mean, the idea of having another child obviously was something that was really exciting. But how did you turn it into? How, how did? How were you able to battle that depression to get excited about it again? The thing is, I never actually lapsed into depression. Oh, okay, that's great. Yep, and and nor did Ron. Mm-hmm. Um, we were sad, and you know we weren't super upbeat all the time, but neither of us ever lapsed into um, what I call clinical depression and neither of us needed any medication or any form of treatment to actually be able to get through this. Um, I think I'm, I'm hugely grateful for the fact that Ron didn't clam up like a lot of husbands do when something goes wrong. Um, I've heard from so many people that their husband just wouldn't talk. 
Um, and I'm not trying to brand men as being baddies and, and you know, that they're, they're just difficult or whatever. Um, but That's okay. We're the only group you're allowed to pick on nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I don't want to get into any dangerous ground here. <laughs> okay. um, but, yeah, it was just so helpful that, that Ron and I could keep talking. And, you know, dear Luke, he never complained about having to listen to stories about Catherine. Um, but we'd sit at the dinner table, and if we remembered something, we'd say, oh, remember when she did blah, 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 blah. Like one, Catherine used to get tonsillitis quite a lot um, from the time she was 10 months old. And she, she just got so used to having tonsillitis that, you know, she, the only way I'd ever know was because her temperature would go up. And she knew that she had tonsillitis one day, and she said, Mummy, um, do you think you should take my temperest with the breometer? And so she had this funny way of getting words all back to front and whatever. And so there's a, a little story with a funny little cartoon about that in the book. And I called them Catherineisms. And, you know, quite often we'll just repeat one of those. And so Luke just used to sit there and listen to us talk about, about these things um, because she was such a big part of our lives and everyone else's. It was really important for us to continue on talking about her. Now, um, I actually mentioned this in the book too. Mum had a friend who lived across um, the way from them and she, her husband had died, I think, 25 years before Mum met her. One day she was saying to Mum, one day one of my friends said, oh, remember when Alf did such and such? And she nearly fell off her chair and she was so excited because that's the first time in 25 years anybody had ever used her husband's name. Mm. Now, this, this is a real issue. I've heard so many people say that people just pretend that they never existed. They think they're going to upset you by mentioning them, when in actual fact, pretty much everybody I've spoken to about that grief has said they're absolutely delighted when somebody mentions them because it means that they're still alive in someone else's memory as well as your memory. Hmm. Wow. That's uh, that's something definitely that we could all learn from. Um, what What are some of the other themes of the book that that you really wanted to get across? Um. One of one of the things. Uh, one of the chapters actually is called Gratitude and a Roller Coaster. I, I talk about how, you know, going through any form of grief is going, going to send you on a roller coaster ride, and most grief doesn't actually relate to death. Um, I've got 23 reasons in the book why you might grieve, and only five of them relate to death. Um, so there's a whole host. Any, any form of unwanted change will cause grief. Um, but I talk about even though we were in the pits of despair about you know having having lost you know Katie and then Catherine um a few months after she died and the rawness had started to ease I started to be really grateful for the way she died around that time we'd had um several abductions there was mm. a girl abducted from her bedroom at um, at Hackham and she's never been found there were other children there, there were several small Australian children uh, girls who had been raped and murdered you know, there were other children fading away before their parents' eyes at the Women's and Children's Hospital. In our case, Catherine simply went to bed, 
perfectly healthy and didn't wake up. So we don't have any horror memories leading up to her death or subsequent to her death. It was just getting used to the fact that we had lost a child. So I started to be really grateful for the way she died. Um, and But it's, it's not a ghastly memory. Mm. So, so even in the middle of awful things, we can actually be grateful if we look for things to be grateful for. Mm. Um, one, some, something else that I noticed was that shopping was incredibly hard. Just doing the grocery shopping would nearly turn me inside out. Now, that might sound really, really silly, but you imagine walking into the supermarket, you head down an aisle and somebody is down the other end and you look at them and you know them and you think, oh, my goodness, do they know that Catherine died? And you just don't feel like talking to them. So then you do a U-turn. Now, imagine doing that with a shopping trolley. You know what they're like to try and wheel mm. straight forward. Yeah, U-turns with a shopping trolley are not pretty. It's kind of like one of my first cars. Is that right? <laughs> Perhaps you should have saved a little longer before you bought that first car. $350. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there you go. I rest my case. Yeah. Um, okay, so you head down the next aisle and you see somebody that you know and you think, oh my goodness, they know Catherine died. I don't feel like going through the conversation. How are you today? Because people, people actually use this different tone of voice. Like, you know, how are you really? Mm. And it took me a while to figure out that if I shopped outside my local area, I didn't have to go through these conversations. And so that's what I did for a while. And then one day I just realised I was back at the local supermarket, perfectly happy about shopping and that that phase had, had passed. So that, that was an interesting exercise. This same friend whose husband died at 59 was absolutely terrified of shopping. So I used to go with her mm. because she didn't want to engage in these conversations. So it's, it's not just me who kind of felt like that. Uh, another interesting thing is some of the things that people will say. And um, some of the kind of handy little cliches. Mm. Things like, you'll get over it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh, but I, no, I, no, no. I couldn't imagine saying that to somebody that lost a child. No, but, no uh, yeah, that you, was. You don't yeah. actually get over it, you just get used to it. Uh, yeah, in, in the book, I say that's like getting over the annoyance of your football team losing a game. Yeah, yeah. You don't get over it; you just get accustomed to a new situation, and that's quite different. Um, things like time heals. Mm. That is absolutely true. Time does heal, but that is the very last thing you want to hear right mm. then. Mm. Um, so none of these cliches are actually helpful. You know, this will make you stronger. Well, it jolly well does, but you don't want to hear it. I remember when I was in the service, I, I one of my one of my friends told me this twenty years later, but they said that uh, uh, I was quoted as saying that which does not kill us makes us bitter. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, oh, that's yeah, makes you bitter. So I mean, that's I couldn't imagine. Yeah, it's it's great that we want to try to help people, but we definitely don't want to be saying things like that that are gonna well, add, add fuel to the fire. We're it's we're coming up here on six thirty seven. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and we're gonna be back with Gail Miller, um, who is a walking inspirational story, public speaker. Uh, a mindset mentor, 
and author, among many other uh, wonderful qualifications. How good is Mighty Joe's? They're brilliant. Mighty Joe's is the largest fruit market in South Australia. They handle all Italian small goods. And a family business. Yeah, that's right. Four decades. Joe and Francesco, they're proud to present fresh produce from local growers and local produce markets, passing massive savings on to you. And their service is so friendly. Tell me about the opening hours. Absolutely. They're open 7 until 7, Monday to Friday, and 7 until 5, Saturday and Sundays. And they have weekly bargains and specials, like nuts and fruit and veg, cold meats, pastas, and plenty more. And they've got a new shop. They certainly have. Mighty Joe's are now at 115 Finden Road, Woodville. Check their Facebook page, Mighty Joe's Fruit Market. I need some fruit and veg. I'm heading down right now. I'll come down with you. Bed sale on right now at Save-A-Lot Beds. Lowest prices in Adelaide. Save hundreds or even thousands. New orthopedic beds in queen or double for only $4.49. Australian-made queen or double mattresses for only $1.99. King-size pillow-top mattresses for only $4.99. Get the good night's sleep you deserve. Save-A-Lot Beds sale is on right now at 634 Port Road in Beverly. Don't miss out. Get down to the Save-A-Lot Beds at 634 Port Road for the Massive double queen and king size sale. Zunke, 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 zunke. Profumo e cuore della nostra terra. Un viaggio alla riscoperta della tanto amata Calabria. Storia, tradizione e curiosità. E tanta, tanta musica. Tutti i mercoledì, dalle 5 alle 7. Con Vincenzo e Rosario. E ci sogno Pulumeo! Attacca a Bari. Zunke, 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 zunke. Ora più che mai, l'assistenza che le famiglie conoscono e di cui si fidano è qui per te, a bene. Con i nostri servizi di assistenza domiciliare, i tuoi cari diventano nostri. Offriamo servizi di supporto sociale e assistenza per fare la spesa ed Andrea si è sentito completamente a suo agio. Il personale è stato fantastico, fornendomi supporto sociale a casa. Bene, fornisce servizi per mantenere uno stile di vita attivo e di benessere, assistenza domiciliare o residenziale agli anziani, con rispetto e calore. Con Bene, sei in famiglia. Chiamaci all'81 31 2000 o visitaci su bene.org.au Foodland's proudly owned by South Australian families like mine. Our stores are our second home and just like home, we want you to feel safe and looked after when you visit. Thankfully, our customers have always acted like Mighty South Aussies when shopping with us, which, by the way, supports all the local family-owned brands who produce the essentials you find on our shelves. Great families, great locals and great food lives here. Radio Italia 1 You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hi, we're back with Gail Miller, uh, inspirational speaker, uh, author, uh, mental uh, uh, mindset uh, mentor, and uh, age care liaison. Um, in the last session, actually, before we get back into what we were talking about, You've got so much great content. Can can you tell the audience how, if they want to hear more, they might be able to contact you or learn more if they're interested in having you as a speaker or perhaps 
reading some of your content? Sure. I have a website, uh, www.gailruthmiller.com.au and on there you'll find me as a speaker, uh, you'll find books and courses, mindset mentor and something else that escapes me right this minute. So everything that I do is on there and dotted all over the place is either my email address or my phone number and I'm quite happy for people to contact me with either. It's good to know that Ron's not the jealous type. That you're allowed that uh, you're allowed to take calls. Um, well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. He monitors my phone, mind you. Uh oh. No. no, not really. Well, you're a catch, so you can't blame him. So uh, there dear. you go. Anyway, um, the last session we were talking about silly things that you know we say when we mean well uh, mm-hmm. that don't actually help. Um, do you, is there anything else that any other cliches to avoid? Uh, you yes. know. The most helpful thing you can say, and you will never put your foot in it when you're speaking to somebody who's going through a grief situation, is I'm sorry, and then just listen. Mm. Because it's amazing. I I had no idea what I prattled about, but I had two friends that would regularly come around. They would sit and listen to me go on and on and on about whatever. They never offered any advice. Uh, and they just very calmly listened. Mm. And that was just incredibly helpful. So I've actually written down a list of um, things that I've learned from our experiences. One is to make memories every chance you get, because you never, ever know when you're going to need them. Mm. Now, I don't... Just a moment, I need to cough. <coughs> I don't know if you heard about the... Um, lady firefighter who died in the um, southeast fires a week ago <clears throat> she she went off her family said goodbye to her not knowing that she wasn't coming home so it's really important that we stay in good relationships with everybody that we we're connected with and you know ne- never go to bed you know having something that's unresolved um, so we make, need to make memories and just make sure that we're always in good relationships with people. That's really important. Uh, and tragedy will make you a better listener, whether you like it or not. And you actually grow through these tough times. If, if life was smooth and you know, hunky-dory all the time, yes, it would be fine, but I'm sure we'd actually get bored with no challenges. And yes, we don't want challenges of the kind that we've had. But adversity does actually help you to grow in a massive number of ways. And it's whether we like it or not that that actually happens. I also encourage people to show love and care for all people. Everyone has a story. We just don't know what they are till they're shared. And... You know, so so we can actually be judgmental of people and think, oh, you know, why are they doing that and da 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 da. But if you actually sat down and listened to them, a lot of people have got very, very, very difficult stories behind the scenes that nobody actually knows. Something else that we learn is never say, "I know how you feel." Mm-hmm. 
We can never know how someone else feels. Now, I, when I'm speaking to groups, I um, use as an example, if we had three white Australian women, all aged 30, all of whom had a stillbirth, they would handle it vastly differently. It, de- it depends on, you know, their parental up- upbringing, their DNA, just their, their manner of coping with anything that comes through life, their life experiences, what they've been exposed to. So it's really important that we, we don't ever... I'm sorry, that's just an incoming phone call that I can't do anything about. Um, we, we just don't know what people have experienced. So it's best not, not to make a judgment, just to, um, just to listen. Mm. And we've talked, talked about cutting the cliches. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Gail, uh, I, I want to kind of flip, uh, flip around a little bit. What do you think that Heidi has learned, you know, just coming into a family? Because not all of the adversity, but a lot of the adversity was before her birth. Um, and she's coming into this, this uh, I, I don't want to say battle-tested unit, but almost, <laughs> you know. Um, no, that's pretty accurate. You know, how, how did, how did, what did she learn, you know, coming into that environment and, and, and from then on? That's how did it affect really, her? Yeah, do you know you're the first person that's ever asked me that question, Matt? Mm. But it's something that that we've been aware of for a long time. Heidi knows that if Catherine didn't die, she wouldn't be here. Mm. We we never intended to keep having premature babies, and we always felt very fortunate that Luke and Catherine were still alive and that they were both perfectly healthy, um, and we, we didn't plan to have any more children. And then about 18 months after Catherine died, both Ron and I separately in February one year decided that we'd like to have another baby and we didn't actually have that conversation until about mid-year and it just kind of came out and we discovered that both of us had been thinking that for three months. So then we you know, started meeting with the doctors and whatever. Anyway, so Heidi has has always known about Catherine. There's always been, you know, a couple of photos in the house of her and we, you know, talk about whatever it is that we want to, um, you know, memories that we have of her. And so she feel, she has always felt like she knows Catherine, but she's also always been disappointed that she never actually got to meet her. Mm. And in, interestingly, Heidi belongs to a Bible study group and one of the ladies has lost her first baby and... I don't know what the circumstances were, but that probably doesn't matter. And she was pregnant again, and she was talking to Heidi one day, and she said, oh, I just don't know whether I'm going to um, smother this, ba- you know, this baby because you know I'm, I'm frightened that it may not it may not survive, or I just don't know how I'm going to behave as a parent, um, you know. And and how's the baby going to feel knowing that the older older sibling has died <clears throat> and she didn't know anything about Heidi's past and she said well actually uh, I had a sister who died three years before I was born and my parents and my brother talk about her all the time and I feel like I know her mm. and so then this girl started asking her all sorts of questions well did they mollycoddle you or smother you or 
you know, would they ever let you go anywhere or were they always terrified that something was going to happen to you? And she said, no, they've always treated me perfectly normally. You know, I could do the same things as my other friends did and um, it's been absolutely fine. But the only difference is that I actually know that I wouldn't have been born had my sister not died. So it's a very strange situation that she's been born into. Did she feel like she had to live up to some sort of expectation? No, no, I don't think she's ever felt like... Well, she certainly hasn't expressed it. But it's interesting, Heidi's personality is almost identical to Catherine's. (laughs) That's great. Um, It's, you know, they're they're both bright and bubbly, get on with absolutely anybody. Now, I know Catherine was only four and a half when she died, but that had been her pattern from the times that she could talk to people, which was mm, just before she turned two. Mm. Um, she was a chatterbox and got on well. Um, Heidi has always been exactly the same, and she she literally gets on with anybody from a brand newborn to someone who's a hundred and five. Wow. Um, and yeah, so um, I don't think she's ever felt like there was an expectation on her. Great. Well, we're coming up here on 6.51. We're going to be back in just a little bit to wrap up with Gail Miller, author, public speaker, and mindset mentor. Our independence is everything. Brazier Mobility has been creating independence for people for over 30 years. Brazier Mobility specialises in tailored vehicle solutions to keep you active. Ensuring your vehicle modification suits your needs, offering you unlimited freedom. Brazier Mobility boasts a team of highly skilled technicians working in a state-of-the-art facility located here in South Australia. No compromises are made when it comes to client satisfaction. Call them for a friendly chat on 1800 Brazier or visit their website braziermobility.com.au. Brazier Mobility, creating independence. Sottovoce. 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 Ogni martedì pomeriggio dalle 2.30 alle 5 in compagnia di Katia Vincenzo. Un programma di musica, interviste, curiosità e salute. E non perdetevi la mia rubrica benessere. Vi aiuterà a stare meglio. Siamo la coppia più bella del mondo. Estovest, a restaurant that offers traditional Italian food that Nonna would approve of. Famous for gnocchi and authentic Napoletana-style pizza. And every Thursday night, you can enjoy unlimited pizza for just $25. Wonderful coffee and staff that make you feel special. Estovest, shop 1, 111 Angus Street in the city. To book, visit their website estovest.com.au and click on book now you'll feel like you're in Italy Radio Italia 1 You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno 87.6 FM Hello, we're back with Gail Miller, author, speaker, and mindset mentor. Uh, Gail, in just about the minute, minute, minute and a half here, uh, if you could tell us what you'd like the audience to carry away from the most uh, from the time that we've had together, please, please share that with us. 
Okay, well, one thing um, that I think is really important is just keep checking in on people. Don't pester them, but, you know, in, in a nice way without prying, just check that they're okay. We have a Are You OK Day. It's probably a good idea to just watch out for people who've, who've gone through grief. Start, notice changes, you know, the way they dress, whether they're starting to be late or behaving differently, and just hang in there and be their friend. One of the things that um, people, it's com- there are common themes to what people say about the book. Um, when, you, when you're going through a grief situation, you do not need a great time to read or whatever. And people say, oh, you're right, it does only take an hour to read. And it's not like a textbook. And it's a real story about real people. So it's something people can relate to. One thing I failed to mention was about emotional curveballs. Sometimes you can get hit by the unexpected years and years after um, a grief situation. So don't think you're going backwards. It's just part of life. You know, I, I read the um, date of birth on a little girl in my dental clinic's case notes 10 years after our daughter died. And I thought I had it all together and suddenly my eyes whirled up and I had to do an examination on her teeth and whatever, try and hold it together, but that was an emotional curveball. So they do happen and you will get through it. Mm. Wow. Well, that's that's we're so lucky to have had you on the show today, Gail, and and I'm sad that we're going to have to 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 wrap it up. I I, I want to thank Ron Fiedler today for paneling for us from Podcast City, and I really want to thank Gail for being with us here today. You can learn more about Gail and and her work on her website, which is Gail GailRuthMiller.com.au. But most of all, uh, to all of you listening, I want to thank you for taking an hour out of your time to listen to us today. Please tune in next week, Monday, at 6 p.m. for Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. And as always, I will leave you with a brief inspirational message. This inspirational message is brought to you by Save-A-Lot Beds at 634 Port Road in Beverly. Call 1-300-791919 for a great night's sleep. On August 24, 1947, a young boy was born. He was a poor student. He hated school. He was bullied constantly. At the age of 16, he told his parents he would like to become a writer. His parents, in response, committed him into a mental institution. At the age of 17... You see, they believed that he could never make it as a writer and one could never support themselves as a writer in their home country. So for his own good, he needed to be convinced to get a practical job, like a lawyer or perhaps an engineer like his father. Of course, his life in the mental institution was a living hell. He underwent electroshock therapy. He escaped from this mental institution three times before being released at the age of 20. Upon release, he conceded to his parents' wishes, enrolled in law school, and abandoned what he believed was his best and first destiny as a writer. He dropped out of law school a year later. Instead of returning to his parents, he lived the life of a hippie traveling through South America, North Africa, Mexico, and Europe. He started using drugs heavily. They almost killed him. When he finally returned to Brazil, he worked as a songwriter. 
He had some success, but was criticized that his songs were rip-offs of foreign songs that weren't well known in Brazil. In 1974, he was arrested by the government because they viewed his lyrics as left-wing and dangerous. He was beaten and tortured regularly in prison. In 1980, he married, and in 1982, he rekindled his dream of being an author and published his first book. It was not received well. He published another book in 1986. He personally felt this book was so bad, he tried to have it removed from circulation. In 1987, he wrote his third book. It was published, but the publisher only made 900 copies and decided not to reprint it. He wrote a fourth book, and it was published by a bigger publisher. In 1994, they reprinted his third book, which had failed previously, and it only had a run of 900 copies. That book was called The Alchemist. It became a bestseller, which spent 300 weeks, not days, weeks, on the New York Times bestseller list. Now, Paulo Coelho has authored over 30 books, which have been published in 170 countries and 83 languages, the most languages by any single author anywhere in the world. He's worth over $500 million US and was listed by the UK company Richtopia as the number two most influential contemporary writer in the entire world. What do we learn from Paulo Coelho? Well, you could read some of his books and learn that way. But barring that, one thing we learn, which is also the theme of some of his books, is that one must be true to the dreams of their heart and follow them. We also learn that it doesn't matter where you start out, it's where you finish up. We further learn that you will fail, but don't give up. Winston Churchill once said, if you're going through hell, keep going. The last point that we learn that I'd like to bring up is that there are two kinds of people in the world. The ones who will let others destroy their dreams, who will let addiction destroy their lives, and who will give up on what they truly believe they were destined to be and to do. And then there's the other kind of person who will not let others destroy their dreams, who will not let anyone, including themselves, hold them back from accomplishing what they believe they were meant to do. And by doing so, can sometimes change the world for the better. The question is, as always, which one are you? That inspirational message was brought to you by Save-A-Lot Beds at 634 Port Road in Beverly. Call 1-300-791919.